don't you hate it when you're, you're sick and you can't figure it out? I mean, if you have a headache, you take an Advil, then, and it gets better, you think, cool, I just had a headache, that wasn't a big deal. But when you get really sick, I know my mom went through a, a sickness a couple summers ago, and we couldn't figure it out. And then you go, and you're doing tests, and you're doing tests, and it's just awful to try to, you know, there's something going on inside, and you can't really quite connect with what it is. And uh, then you go to the doctor, and the doctor asks you that question that I don't know about you, but it just bugs me to death. And, uh, and if there's a doctor in the house, then you're going to be offended here in just a second. But uh, you go to the doctor, and they look at you, and then they say, they ask this question, well, well what do you think it is? I'm like, well, you're t- me? Oh, it's me, though. You, oh, you mistake. You, oh, no, I'm not a doctor. So you're asking me what I think it is, right? See, you have the white coat. I don't have the white coat. That's why I'm sitting here paying 125 bucks because I asked. And you're like, I don't know what it is. And there are things in the medical profession as, as sharp as those folks are and as much as we've progressed that there are moments where we can't actually see what's going on inside. Then we revert to the MRIs and the X-rays and the sonograms and all that. And, uh, you know, is that what they're called, sonograms? Okay, all right. And then we, fi- we try to find out. Our faith is very similar. There are things that um, happen in our faith that we can't see. You can't see mine. I can't see yours. If I say, man, I have a lot of hope, well, you're just trusting the fact that what I'm saying is true. There's no hopometer that you can look and say, wow, that guy's got a lot of hope. That guy's got a lot of faith. That guy says he prays a lot, but I, who knows if that's really true or not. We can't look at the exterior and see interior stuff going on in the spiritual world. In the medical profession, however, there are instruments that can be used to detect if something is right or wrong, like a thermometer, uh, one of those uh, squeezy things they put on you for blood pressure. I think that's what they're really called, the squeezy thing. You know, and they put it around there, and it, I don't think they stop squeezing until they see your eyeballs just bulge out a little bit. Like, I think we're good. I think we're good. Do you ever, am I the only one that ever feels that? I'm like, Really? Like, you know, it keeps, about when it's tight and then it gets tighter and like, the, you know, she, I'm like, are you paying attention? Because I think I lost a finger now. Can you like back off the pump thing? And then they say to you, well, your blood pressure, last time I went in, in, uh, to the doctor in December, your blood pressure is getting a little high. We only knew that, not by just looking at me, but because we had a tool, an instrument that was immeasurable, by the way, that told me that my blood pressure was a little high. Now we start saying, I wonder why it's high. Are you too much salt? Um, do you have a job that's stressful? I'm like, well, who doesn't have a job that's stressful? Everybody's got, do you have kids? Yes, I have kids. Uh, do, you know, there's a series of questions that, that can cause the stress, but it's all measured by an instrument. Today, we continue in our conversation about measurables because in life, there has to be measurables. There are times that we need a job review. There are times if you're a student, you need a report card. There are things that, that cause us to uh, not be able to, uh, to uh, meander around the truth, around reality. 
Um, I don't know if you know this or not, but the, the uh, cameras and the stop, the traffic lights are working now. I, I think there was a time where they weren't working. I'm not sure why they weren't working. I was happy they weren't working, but in the mail, um, we got a little photo. Um, it, it was in my wife's car. <laughs> and, um, and a little bill. For $312. Oh, now I got your attention. And it shows on there two nice little pictures of your car. One is your, your, the nose of your car in the intersection with the red light. And the next frame, the next nice little picture, is your car through the intersection with the red light. And so you look at it and like, hmm, yeah. Hey, do you know where the checkbook is? Because there's no arguing with that measurable. We need those measurables in our life, do we not? In our spiritual life, it's not just all about guesswork. There are measurables that we have that God has put in place. We just met with 40 of our leaders a couple of weeks ago. We put some measurables in place. We call it leadership definition. We believe that our leaders are, are, we believe in a culture of a very defined leading edge. What we mean by that is that um, being a leader just doesn't mean that you know how to start a DVD player. And uh, it, it requires more than that. There are things that we look for, things that are listed in the scriptures, consistency, reliability, faithfulness, Character; Those are outward things that a person looks for as they're selecting leadership. When God began to work and interact with the human race outside of the garden, we know the story of the garden. First couple chapters, God is creating. Third chapter of Genesis, Adam and Eve both stepped off the line in disobedience. And then they were issued, ushered out of the garden. And when they were ushered out of the garden... We, we now find ourselves in the fourth chapter of Genesis. God begins now a new arena, life outside the garden. And from that point on, we have lived, in a sense, outside the garden ever since that monumental day. From that moment, enter Cain and Abel in Genesis chapter 4. From that moment, the very first thing that we see is that God sets up an external measurable that would measure an internal um, mode of their hearts. We begin in Genesis chapter 4 this morning in verse 2. If you have your Bible, I invite you to take it out. We're going to hover in the New Testament a little later, but for now we're in Genesis chapter 4 and verse 2. Now Abel kept flocks and Cain worked the soil. In the course of time, Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord. In other words, he was a farmer. Whatever he was growing, whether that was cucumbers, watermelon, whatever grew in that part of the world, he brought some of this as an offering to the Lord. Verse 4, but Abel brought fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flock. Abel was obviously a shepherd or a herder. And so what the language here that you may not recognize, the fat portions of a steak, let's say, are the tastiest portions. It's not always the leanest steak that has the most flavor if you're a steak person. It's the, it's the best one that has the fat. And the firstborn 
of the flock was the very, represented the very best. The Lord looked on favor on Abel's on Abel and his offering, but on Cain and his offering, he did not look with favor. So Cain was very angry and his face was downcast. Now, this passage to me is intriguing because before this, there's no set of rules. After this and as life develops in the community with Moses, very strict rules about how to bring a sacrifice, what that should look like. If you can't afford one, here's what you do. I mean, many options, very detailed. Quite frankly, a lot of that reading is not um, exciting reading in the scripture with all the rules and the regs. But this is intriguing Because in the first verse of chapter 4, we don't get the rules. But you can read between the lines and understand that God has set up a measurable. And he's saying, I want you to take what you have grown, what you've shepherded, what you've herded. And I want you to bring to me the best. How do I know that? Because Abel brought the best, and God said, I'm really pleased with that. Cain obviously didn't bring the best. I'm guessing that he actually brought something of value. I don't think that he found a shriveled up squash in the corner of the garden and was dumb enough to say, hey, how about a raisin squash, you know, whatever that would be called. I think he probably brought like a shiny cucumber that looked pretty good from the outside, But God and him knew that it wasn't the best of his garden. There was a hidden papaya somewhere that was pretty nice. And both God and Cain knew, like, how about the papaya? You see, this story is interesting because it's on the heels of God creating the world. God just said, man, I am going to create. If you, it's mind-boggling uh, what God did in those first two chapters. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to spray the stars and the universe. And if you've ever studied anything about the universe, you cannot, as a human, wrap your mind around the universe. Just this galaxy from one end to the next takes so many light years. And then that's just one galaxy of many galaxies. It's mind-blowing. And yet that same God invented invented and created the gnat and the kangaroo and the cattle and the sheep and all the veggies and everything that these guys had. And so as we're on the heels of this creation story, the measurable was this, that it was all God's. He created everything. He owned every single thing What he was not asking these guys to do was give. He was asking them to give back. Big difference. Big difference. So I go to Bill here and say, Bill, I'm going to give you 10 $1 bills. And I just, they're on loan. And I'm going to just let you hold those. And I may come back and I may need them. So I go to Bill, and he sees me coming and goes, "Uh uh-oh, here comes McCoy. He's going to ask me for those $10 bills, $10, $1 bills. I say, I got a deal for you, man. I'm going to let you keep nine of them. I'm just asking you to give back one because they were mine, right? You're going, yeah, they were mine. Okay, then I'm going to let you keep all nine of the dollars that were mine to begin with. You're only giving back. Today, we're going to talk about the measurable, that I hold my breath 
about because of the stigma that's attached to it. You know what I'm going to talk about today? Giving, yes. And someone said a biblical word, tithing, which we'll get into a little bit. Now, we're going to have a prayer, and if anyone wants to leave during the prayer, then we can do that. I I sometimes grimace, I, I shouldn't, but just being honest, about this topic because of the stigma that's attached to it. And as soon as you mention the word money or giving, it kind of goes like this. Wah, 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 wah. We want your money. Wah, 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 wah. Just money. Wah, wah, wah. Give more. Wah, wah. You know, and, and we just hear the, the mountain peaks and we miss all the stuff in between. So I want you to take a deep breath because I want to tell you a little bit about what drives that stigma sometimes. Unfortunately, church, the church community has found itself in debt, huge debt. Um, I have a lot of friends in ministry. Uh, I've been on the track for three decades. I know how it works. And unfortunately, and many of you may have had this experience that the want, want, want money deal is driven by the fear that we've created by being in so much debt. If you're new to 360... Uh, or maybe you've not heard me say this. When we first began 360 over five years ago, we laid some footprints. And one of those footprints, which we've held very tightly to, is that we're committed never to go into debt. You'll, you may have noticed we're in a warehouse. And we're in a warehouse not as a secondary step to get enough money to put on the down payment of a property so that we can go in debt and build a building. This is it. You're looking at the ark. There isn't going to be a motorboat coming along that's pretty sleek. (laughs) And so um, this has created for us (sighs) simplicity. We're not driven by any of that. We operate in the black We'll always operate in the black. There are times where we say, man, we've got to make a change to the building. We blew out a wall last summer. We say, hey, we want to do this. If God's moving on your heart, you think, man, I'm jazzed about that. That would be cool. And I want to, be, I want to jump into that boat. Do it. If, the, if it rubs you the wrong way, don't do it because God loves joyful givers. And we're going to move that way. And if we raise $8, then we'll put three cinder blocks up and call it a day. When you go to Latin America, many of you been, you'll see a lot of unfinished buildings. You know what? They don't get loans. They put up about a half a wall of brick, and that's it, because that's all the money they have. If it's eight months later, they'll put up another half a wall. I love that about that culture. And I'm proud of a church and a leader and leadership that says, we're going to stick to that. And when you stick to that principle, I am telling you, there is so much freedom. Now, having said that, we're starting a building program. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) Um, The second thing I would like to say that I like to say periodically is that years ago, I heard um, a pastor in Fort Lauderdale, his name is Bob Coy. 
He's a pastor of a very large uh, Calvary Chapel there in Fort Lauderdale. Wonderful pastor, great energy, just I, I love his heart. And he said this, look, as spiritual as I would like to think of myself, I'm still human. And humans have biases, no matter how hard you try. And for that reason, Bob said, Pastor Coy said, I made, I've made it a practice not to know what one single person gives in this church. I have adopted and embraced that uh, policy a long, long time ago. So I have absolutely no idea of what one single person in this room gives or doesn't give. Guess what? Freedom. It's freedom. Money and giving and giving back should be a joyful joyful thing. It is also a measurable of what is happening inside. So if you know me well enough, you know I want to mix the joy and the hope and the freedom of what that means along this this morning with the discipline and the measurable and the reality that God may strike some of us as he did me years ago and an issue that I wrestled with for years. I wrestled with this issue for years, and I'm going to share my story about that a little bit later. We need measurables. It's funny that as I was prepping for this, there was a major scuffle going on in the back bedrooms of the McCoy Ranch. And I went back there to find out what was going on. In fact, it was uh, just yesterday, and... um, uh, my oldest son had a sleepover at the school where he goes, and I always say it's a sleepover minus the sleep. It's just the over part, you know, and so, uh, bo- and so we let the younger ones stay up, so we knew we were going to have Crankyville, you know, all day Saturday, and it turned out just like that, and I went back, I turned the corner, and I heard the argument, which is very, um, I'm sure, untypical for your kids, very common for my kids. That's mine. No, it's mine. I know it's mine. No, it's mine. And there was, and I said to them, I walked in, and I just looked at them, and I stood in silence, which usually means for them, uh-oh. And um, I said to them, I'm afraid I might have bought you guys too much stuff. And then I walked out. And then amongst themselves, I'm sure they said, what did that mean? Yeah. <laughs> right? <laughs> you know, we say things that we think are really profound. They're like, I don't know. Anyway, what were we watching? You know, it happens in church every Sunday. Like, I don't know what he said, but... <laughs> But as kids, we began to take ownership, and I'm sure that somewhere along the line, when Cain was out in the heat of the day, and he was uh, doing his farmer thing, and he, you know, then taking up the weeds and the sweat of the brow, which was the curse of Adam, and digging, that somewhere along the line, the whole creation story where God said, it's all mine, and I'm letting you guys have the privilege of experiencing it. It began to transfer like my kids. That's my cucumber, because I worked for that cucumber. You can see the calluses, can't you, Abel? And I, it was my shovel that I dug the ground for my seed, and I put it in there, and the whole give back thing turned into a give thing. 
And I'm telling you on the most internal part of ourselves, if we can get that one concept, then giving back is, wow, you're letting me keep 90 and you, wow, that's a deal. I like God. That's a nice t-shirt. He's cool. He's a giver. He's generous. Rather than, how much is it? What do I have that's Hebrew, by the way. <laughs> I sometimes ask my question, the question, why do we talk about these things like giving? Because God does. I mean, right from Genesis 4, God said, I want to set up for you a lab. And the lab... A lab, by the way, causes us to learn. If you read your 360 Weekly, we talked about that this week. In a classroom, we're taught. In a real lab, we learn. I've told you before, I go down to the climbing wall with a bunch of guys on Saturday. I am the low end of the totem pole of strength. These guys, I'm looking at a couple here this morning, they go to the top and it's an incline. And if one hand happens to slip off for these guys, not a problem. They're like, oh, it looks like a magazine cover. Like, and they're like hanging on with one, you know, one hand up there. I mean, with all these guns and everything. <laughs> Meanwhile, Steve Arino is about this far from the dirt. And I'm like, and my feet are scrambling like a gerbil. <laughs> and after 12 minutes of that, I'm like, okay, guys, I'm done. Woo, good day. Good day at the wall. You know, behind, their back, behind my back, they're like, that guy's a moron. I do it, I put myself in the position because it causes me to learn courage. It causes me to learn strength. It causes me to learn gerbil-like humility. You see, we don't learn forgiveness when people are being nice to us. We don't learn how to interact and how to be what we call a small circle if we're not in one. Jesus didn't know compassion, I think, as deeply as when he stood at the grave of a friend, Lazarus, and then we're told that he wept. He understood the lab of the planet Earth, and all of a sudden, humanity, just in that moment, in that lab, caused him to learn what we go through. I dig that about Christ. He's asking us right from the beginning, put yourself in a lab whether you like it, Cain, or not, to give back so that your muscle is flexed and you understand one thing over and over and over. It's not yours. You see, when we stop doing that, we all of a sudden transfer to it's mine. It's my job. It's my car that got me to my job, which I parked in my garage at my house. And it's such a dangerous place. I know it because I lived it for years as a Christian leader. From the outset, God began to just put this into action as a couple of examples. Exodus chapter 13 and verse 12. 
God said this, you are to give over to the people of God. You are to give over to the Lord the first, there's the word again, offspring of every womb. Here it is again. All the firstborn males of your livestock belong to the Lord. Exodus chapter 23, verse 19. Now to the farmers, bring the best of the first fruits of your soil to the house of the Lord your God. Not because God needed it to keep the operation going. He had enough cucumbers. He had enough sheep. He had enough cattle. It's because he wanted to remind the people of God, don't forget, I created it all. I made it all. And don't let it seep into the deepest part of your heart that you own it. Give it back. Give it back. Flex that muscle. It is a measurable. It is a, an act, an outward act of an inner truth. Perhaps you've seen this picture. Um, you know this statue downtown. What's it called? Uh, unsurrendered something. Unconditional surrender. Yes, it's a. There, I think this. There's. I've seen one in San Diego. I don't know if it's the same statue that travels around. Anyway, but but then I got. Maybe you saw this photo. It came across, and I'm like, whoa, 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 wait a minute here, whoa. Night at the museum. Here we go. Statues making out. Um, yeah. And you think, whoo, Sarasota, we're moving up. It's going on. And Sarah, I'm like, what in the world are the, has gone on? Is this, this is not going to be one of those things where we call R-rated stuff artwork, right? Well, then here's the deal. Somebody crashed their bins right into the guy's ankle. And it fractured his ankle, by the way, literally. And they had to take the statue down and send it off to get it fixed, right? But when I first saw, you know, can we go back to the, the previous slide? Yeah, I first saw that. I think that should be like a sign outside our church or something. Three, welcome to 360. Anyway, uh, people are like driving by like, it's really weird. Um, but when you see this, you think, what is going on until you go to the next picture and you think, oh, okay, the reason for that is there's a fracture. There's something that I didn't see in that photo. Okay, take it off because nobody's looking up here. They're all like, you're all like. <laughs> there was a young preacher who when he shot out of the gate. He preached differently to the point that it turned heads. He said things that others weren't willing to say. He upset some folks, but he didn't care because he cared enough about the people that he wasn't willing to hold back. His name? Jesus. One of the first sermons of Jesus that we have is called, we call it the Sermon on the Mount. Being the creator of the universe, he knew how to preach to thousands of people. I find that interesting, by the way, without a microphone. He often pushed out on the water because he knew acoustics and how it works on water. He climbed a mountain so that he was over them, and he spoke to thousands of people. And he said, I know in many 
different layers. He said, I know you guys have heard it this way, but I'm here to tell you, I'm here to change your mind. The things that are, you've looked at as external, they're tethered to an inner fracture. For example, I know that you've regarded an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, and that's what your grandfather taught your father who taught you, because murder was when you took a physical object like a knife and you drove it in physically to a person's heart and you killed them. But Jesus said, can I redefine that? Can I redefine murder? When you slam people behind their back and slander them and trash them, it's actually murder. Really? You mean like those internal things? Mm -hmm. Now, I know that that some of you think when you go down to the, the lion club or tiger club, leopard club, what's it called? I don't know. It's a cat, some kind of cat. Cheetah. How do you know? Just kind of, All right. Just saying, man. Uh, that's one you wouldn't want to answer out loud. Don't you know that? I'll point to you on the questions you should answer out loud. So you're down at the what I've just learned as the cheetah club. You notice I use other cat names. Yeah. What's it called? The poodle club? And they're like, mm-mm, you're faking it, dude. All right. And somehow you were unfaithful to your wife because you slept with someone. Jesus said, Can I redefine adultery? You actually, when your eyes look upon a woman, in an unholy way, that is actually adultery. It's tethered to your interior. You know everybody went, really? And some of the guys went, rats. (laughs) You see, this whole area of giving back is an outward measurable tethered to inner issues. I know it. If I haven't mentioned, I lived it for many years. Billy Graham, one of my favorite people, said these words, If a person gets his or her attitude toward money straight, it will help straighten out almost every other area in his or her life. I've seen it over and over and over. Paul said it this way, For the love of money deep down in the interior is the root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from their faith and watched us now and file it. They've pierced themselves with many griefs. See, there are things that we do towards other people and other people can do. This one is shooting ourselves in the foot. I hope that what you'll hear from me today is pure compassion. Let me tell you my story. I came to Christ in my early 20s. Zealous was not even the word. I had led a life that, that unholy doesn't even capture it. I did whatever I wanted, and I did. So when I came to Christ in my early 20s, it was like a bottle rocket and, and just 
uh, a reckless passion, I would say. Did crazy things. Stood on the Charles River Bridge in Boston, threw my glasses in the river and saying, in faith I believe it. <laughs> Wish I hadn't done that. <laughs> As time went on and I became more institutionalized and I worked hard for what I did, Suddenly, something set in, my precious. <laughs> I got a job in a very large church in the Midwest, four or 5,000 people. I didn't think I was paid and probably wasn't paid what I should have been. Something began to turn on the inside. Then I got into the mode, well, I'm giving my time. So I'm, I'm, I'm going to get out of the lab of exercising. To, and it, all of a sudden it became giving and not giving back. And then things were happening at the church like the purchase of the $20,000 desk for the pastor. And I'm, in my mind, I'm like, that's just not right. And I became very cynical about the whole giving thing. I know some of you relate to it. You've been burned by it. I get it. I lived it. You see, had then I moved from that environment to an environment that was healthy, where the, the church was uh, spending wisely and being good managers of that, and I was paid what Steve thought I should have been paid and all that language, and then in that environment, then I'm like, hey, I get the giving thing wouldn't have been a lab you see because things turned out like i just had a good crop that year well sure you can have the extra god no god had me in that lab where things weren't perfect to say you steve in this lab i want to teach you something that giving back has nothing to do with your circumstance nothing it has everything to do with your interior. And this is the verse from this sermon from this young preacher whose name was Jesus that struck my heart. Matthew 6, 21. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also, period. I tried every way I could get around those words and I just couldn't. It was a measurable that was black and white. Jesus said, where your treasure is, what you treasure, there your heart is also. It is directly tethered. So I began to give according to what I understood to be a scriptural way of giving, and I didn't even do it with joy at first. It's like Cain who finally got it and coming up with the prize papaya saying, okay, fine, you can have it. There's your papaya. That was about Steve's deal. I understood that it was my heart, but I hadn't been in the lab enough to flex Enough. It's like the first time you say, I'm going to work out because I know it's right. Come on. We hate it, right? But then after doing it for a 
few months, you're like, I'm starting to actually enjoy this because my muscle is flexed. On this side of when we're in that cane mode, we don't get it. We hate it. We don't think it's right. And it, it almost just takes God I, where your heart, your treasure is. Well, I want my heart to be right. You see, these messages from the scripture are hard to deliver because I know how hard it is for the population of God's people. I often run these messages by my wife. And I say, man, this is going to be a tough one. And she will always say the same thing. Thank God I've got an incredible wife. Steve, you're just the conduit of the words of Jesus. Relax. When Jesus said, where your heart is there, where your treasure is, there's going to be your heart, he meant it. He, 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 it was black and white. Some people ask me, well, Steve, what does that mean? Break it down for me. The Old Testament uh, you know, talks about the tithe. That means that we get to keep 90 and we give back 10. And, and there's always this big fuss about um, should we as New Testament Christians still do something that was attached to regulations? Should I give back 10%? I answer that question with a question. Why wouldn't we? Why wouldn't we? Because usually that question is, a, is how do we get out of it? Do we have to? We don't have to do anything now. Now, back in those days, if you didn't do it, they stoned you, and not in the good way. It was the bad way, (laughs) with real rocks. In this way, don't have to do a single thing for God, and no one in this community is going to take you outside and pick up big rocks and throw it until you die. That's kind ah, kind of weird, but you don't have to. But as people who have not only received creation, but have received the awaited, unbelievably fantastic, galaxy, mind-blowing news that God sent his son for this lousy moron to save my life and give me new life and risen from the dead to give me the spirit of God the Holy Spirit of the God of the universe to live inside of this moron? Why wouldn't I want to say, really, you only want 10? I can't even stop at that. Why would I want to minimalize it? A.W. Tozer didn't mind stepping on um, toes, maybe that's where you guys' name from. Um, and he said these words: "We would never think about lying in church or saying lies in church. We just sing them." See you next week. <laughs> God, you can have my all. I surrender all. This would be a good place for a joke, but I don't have one. It's tough, right? And it's tough because it's mixed with joy. 
but it is mixed with reality and truth. Now, in this message, Jesus stood on this mountain and he preached what we know now as the Sermon on the Mount. And in this message, he gives to us measurables. Because if you're sitting there um, thinking, gosh, why is it that I wrestle with this issue? I had to look deep within my life and think, why is it that, I, that this is a thing for me? Um, and why is it, what's hindering me? And I think Christ answers it. Now we're in Matthew chapter 6, and we're just going to go right through this passage where Jesus speaks about giving back. He says this in verse 19 of chapter 6 in Matthew. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy. I, I read that, and I'm like, man, is this like the Louisiana version? Like a vermin? Who says that anymore? Hey, you got some vermin under the front porch. You got to get, I don't know. I've just offended more people from Louisiana. And where thieves break in and still. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy, where thieves do not break in and steal for where your treasure is your heart will be also. So I've made a little gauge for us, like a measurable, because we're talking about measurables. Jesus is saying on one end, we can store up treasures on earth, and on the other end, we can store up treasures in heaven. And the internal measurable that Jesus is saying, maybe the issue here that hinders you from like, man, God, I'm so thrilled about giving back. Maybe that issue comes under this word, security. We love security. I like security. Don't you like security? You have locks on the doors. I like security. I have stuff, antivirus stuff on my computer. I like security in my online stuff. I I have a retirement plan. You shouldn't be ridiculous and say, well, I'm just going to live for God and not have anything so that when you're 78 or 80 or 90 or whatever, so that, you know, you're not a burden. That's reasonable. That's logical. But if everything I do is about building bigger barns and storing on earth, and my heart is here, our security is in heaven because Jesus is saying, this is all going to go away. Letting go of the cucumber that day for Cain was tough because he lost some security. Jesus begins again in uh, Matthew 6 and verse 22. Very strange inclusion in this message. The eye is the lamp of the body, said Jesus, If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? Now, you would think, is he talking about lust? Is he talking, you know, it's kind of weird because everything above this is about giving back. Everything below this is about giving back. Does this have anything about giving back? Absolutely. Because on one end of the chart, Jesus is saying, look, in this issue of giving back, you can either have unhealthy eyes or you can actually have healthy eyes. Do you remember in the garden when Eve was standing there? It wasn't when she took her first munch of the fruit that she blew it. We're told that she saw the fruit and it was pleasing to the eye. And something happened on the interior at that moment. She goes, hmm, and it's the hmm that often gets us into trouble. Have you noticed that? It's that interior hmm, cheetah club, hmm. 
Our culture is so full of eye candy. I mean, you can't even go to, to Walgreens with all the stuff in, in, in there. Last night I said, you know, you're standing there and you get a zigzag bar. And someone said, that's Zagnuck. Zigzag is rolling paper, Steve. Hmm. So at any rate, um, <laughs> yeah. Welcome to 360. So glad you're here for the first time. Um, so... You know, you're standing there and you're like, you know, I really didn't want a Zagnut bar, but that darn thing looks pretty good there, you know, right? That's how marketing works. There's an appeal to the eye. And if our eye is unhealthy, you know what we're really wrestling with down deep? Contentment. You see, when, when we're like, gosh, God has given me enough. He's given me enough. That my eyes don't have to, oh gosh, I got to get more and more and more and more. In Hebrews chapter 13 and, and verse 5, keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have because God has said, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. I got to tell you, that was a big one for me. Just always looking for the next thing to buy. Jesus continues in verse 24. The language is amped up. He says, look, black and white, no one, not one single person can serve two masters. Tough word here. Either you will hate one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. You know, there's some things you can kind of do and not kind of do, like sports. I, I watch sports. I'm not a sports nut. But I'm the kind of guy that watches the Super Bowl and the last four of the NBA and all that. And I, I'm not going to watch the whole season. Sometimes I watch, like, golf on Sunday afternoon when I want to get a little sleep, you know, something to put you to sleep. <laughs> hey, just offended golfers. Um, and, you know, but I, I like a little sports. Uh, so you can do things like that. But there's some things in life that it's either or. You're either dead or you're alive. There's not, like, a little dead. Right? You can't be a little dead. And Jesus is saying, look, you can't do it. I know you're going to try. He's, he's amping it up. If I said to you, how many people hate God today? I'm guessing not a single hand. Jesus said, look, you're either going to love God as master or you're not going to love God. You're gonna, he uses the word hate. Wow. Heavy duty. Heavy duty. So if we go to our gauge here, on one end, money is our master. On the other, God is our master. And in the middle, it all has to do with devotion. Finally, watch this. In the next chunk, beginning in verse 25, he says, Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life. What you will eat, what you drink, about your body, what you will wear. Is, it, is not life more than food and the body more for clothes? Look at the birds of the air, which I made, by the way. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns. And yet your heavenly Father, he, he just feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? And why do you worry about clothes? See the flowers of the field grow. By the way, those ones I've created, they do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you, not even Solomon in all of his magnificent splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God closes the grass, close the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown in the fire, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? 
So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear? So we go to our gauge, the measurable Christ is saying, inside, we either got that tomorrow worry thing, or we got that today trust thing, and it's driven by the most thing, that the biggest thing that keeps us from giving back, it's fear. Fear is so destructive, is it not? I mean, fear is that one thing where it's like, I really want to, I get it, I hear it, hmm, but how can I make it if I keep only nine and give God one? I worked at a job once where because the business wasn't going great, we all had to take a 35% cut in pay. Somehow we survived. Somehow we made it. I've got to tell you that when you begin to exercise that muscle and say, gosh, all 10 are not even mine. God, here it is. I'm just giving you one back. Something begins to happen on the deeper side of joy. I, with great passion, lament the fact that many of my brothers and sisters in Christ are piercing themselves with this Outward measurable of giving back because it's attached to something inner that is absolutely tearing us up. Even though I began with a bad attitude in the lab, I put myself in a place where I had to trust God and I didn't have any other choice. I had to, I put myself in a position where my security, I'm giving toward, you're not giving toward this building, this church, the light bill, any of that silly stuff. We're storing up and we say the, the turning point for me, I'm not giving it to the pastor who brought a 20K desk. I'm not giving it to a church that's not paying me what I think I need. I'm giving it to God because God is amazing, giving me everything, and I love him for it. Here's a, here's a good test for you, okay? On the count of three, we're all going to take a deep breath and hold it. Ready? Here we go. One, two, three. You just took a breath of God's air. It's all he is. Okay, we're going to let out. Everything. Isn't that amazing? The oxygen, your muscles, your heart. Your eyelids, your eye, the nose in your hair, which I cut out a little bit this morning. It's all about, it's all God's. Let me tell you why as we close. Going to get a little bit heartbreaking here. From the very beginning, God, no exceptions has always had this desire for his people to be different, to be distinguished. Because, you know, God is doing something in us. And he wants us to be distinguished, whether it was Cain and Abel, it was the Israelites, it was Moses, it was the early church. I want you to be distinguished 
from those who don't have God so that those who don't have God will look in and see how much incredible devotion you have and how much security you have on earth and not here on heaven and how much uh, a oneness you have and how much uh, you love God so much that they would look in and say, man, I want a piece of that action. I just, man, I, there's something happening on the interior of that person I don't have. I'd like a piece of that action. Jesus, at the end of this sermon, says these words. For the pagans, those, that's kind of a harsh word, but those without God, they run after all this stuff. They're the ones that run. But your heavenly Father knows that you need them, so you don't have to run after it. I wanted you to be different. And if we don't look any different than the world without Christ, then how will the world without Christ be drawn to the Christ that is inside of us? Paul said it this way in Ephesians 5, but among you there must not even be a hint of sexual immorality. Now that one, we can ride that horse. Or any kind of impurity, and we can ride that one. Or of greed, whoa. Because these are improper for God's holy people. For once you were darkness, but now amazingly you are light in the Lord then live as children of light and Cain find out what pleases the Lord it's an ancient truth and yet is it not relevant because we wrestle with it I know it I get it I know it may sound like I'm angry but I'm not I'm compassionate because I get the wrestle it's tough it's hard We swim in the deep end of the most affluent country in the world. It's tough. I showed you a chart a couple weeks ago, and it went kind of like this. George Barna, Mr. Poll Taker, took a poll that asked Christians, hundreds of Christians, what would make you spiritually successful? At the bottom end of this list is the very thing that should be on the top of this list, in my opinion. 2% of hundreds of Christians said helping others grow spiritually. In other words, I'm a disciple maker. That's what God has called. Now, when the polls, and you can Google this, and you'll find it over and over and over. We can bring up the next measurable. When the body of Christ is polled, the people that are called to be distinguished and different from the world that doesn't have Christ. How, what's the percentage? These numbers represent percentages. What's the percentage of the, the body of Christ and specifically the evangelical body of Christ that is willing to give back just 10%? What's the percentage of those that are willing just to keep 90 and give God God back 10? You want to know what the number is? Are you ready? Here it is.
That's a hard number for me. Because I love the church so much and his people. I catch heat sometimes for these kind of statistics. But I believe in change. And unless we're faced with the reality of the real measurable, unless you, you look at that and think, wow, are we any different with all the things that we know about God? It's as if we hear Jesus say, I don't care how spiritual you think you might be. This one is immeasurable. The saying goes like this. You can give without loving, but it's pretty tough to love without giving. So there's a word that we'll end with here that we saw at the very beginning, ancient and yet fresh. Jesus ends this entire sermon in Matthew 6:33 and the words go like this here's the solution but seek the word first his kingdom if you put him first paul was bragging about a church and by the way when jesus spoke this sermon on a mountain in galilee the vast majority of these people were peasants who barely eked out a living, mostly bartering because there were no savings and loans, no banks. They, they barely eked out a living, and yet Christ said, it's not about your circumstance. It's about your heart. And so Paul tells us about a church in Macedonia who were, they were, were told in history they were dirt poor. And Paul is writing to a church in Corinth, which would be like a church in America who had many, many resources financially. And Paul begins to brag on this Macedonian church, this poor church to this more affluent church. In 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 3, he says, for I testify that the Macedonians gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability entirely on their own. They urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in the service to the Lord's people. In other words, giving back. They exceeded our expectations, but here's how they did it. They gave themselves first of all to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. It is the key. If you would be open to wrestling with this issue, here's what I guarantee. I guarantee that you'll begin to trust God more, that your devotion will be altered. I will never say that if you give, God will give it back. I don't, I don't see that God owes us anything. He already gave us all anyway. And to say that I'm going to get richer, and I know that's a popular thing on TV, kafui with that. We give because we say from our heart, God, it's all yours. We love you. I surrender all. And Jesus saying, that's totally cool. 
hop in the lab and jump in the journey. It's an adventure, and God does something amazing in our hearts. I invite you, and it's between you and God. Your choice, your joy. I struggle with it for years, and I struggle with other stuff now. But in this area, I'm going to tell you, joy came through the lab. And it absolutely breaks my heart that the body of Christ were piercing ourselves. I got to imagine that it's not a coincidence that only 2% of the body of Christ wants to change others. Maybe they're connected. Let's pray. God, what a tough message. It uh, hits us in a very sensitive issue in an area, God. What I ask, God, in this moment is that your Holy Spirit would just do work that no one else can do. There may be people here like I was that are kind of even angry at this kind of a message. Maybe people that were cynical like I was of saying, yep, that's kind of what I thought church was about. I pray, God, for your spirit to do work, to help us understand that every single thing we, that, that we experience is yours. And we have the privilege of giving back. I pray for the church I love, God. And pray that if we understand if we're going to change the world, we have to look different. And in all of these tough things that are said that Jesus laid out for us, either you'll hate one and love the other, tough words, God, that through all that, there is, there is nestled at the core, oddly enough, joy. And unless, God, we, we are able to work ourselves through the lab, Father will never get to that core of joy. And for that, for the body of Christ, your church, your bride, God, I pray. And I pray, Father, that you would lift the veil uh, that often clouds our thinking, the stigmas that are like hurdles in this area. And Lord, help us to give back with great joy. Thank you for Jesus today. I pray for those in this room that came in not even understanding what it means to embrace the living, risen Christ. And we cannot end this day, God, without thanking you 
for being a giver yourself. And of all the things that you have given us, animals and atmosphere and bodies and health and all the things we thank you for, above that, God, we remember these words. For God, you so loved the world that you gave. You gave your one and only Son. Oh God, that we could learn to love, to give back for Christ. Amen. Thank you for uh, being here today. And uh, thank you for uh, being open to a tough message. Um, If you're here for the first time, um, this is a first week of a 28-week series on giving. I'm just kidding. (laughs) Um, it's a tough issue. Here's, I'll leave you with this thought. It took a while for me. Just be open to God's voice, his leadership, his spirit. And don't leave out the joy of it. That's, it, it comes down to that, but it is mingled with the measurable. And don't leave out the discipline part, because that's part of our life. 